You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. My name is Reed Brown. I'm one of the elders here at Mill Creek. Our reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. You can find it on page 568 in the Bibles in the chair backs in front of you. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Please pray with me. Father, this morning be with Jeremy as he seeks to share your word and give us soft hearts as we hear your message. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Reed. For the last four weeks, we've been focusing our attention on how the Bible teaches us to resolve conflict. And today we're finishing this sermon series, and the elders decided that wanted to teach through this series because we were noticing that in our culture there is just so much conflict happening out there, whether it's because of politics or because of COVID or masks or vaccinations. And, and what we were seeing is the elders and I were visiting was some of those same issues out there reflected in here. To be fair, We've been walking through this sermon series then on how do we resolve biblical conflict, not because we're at this place of like an imminent church split. In fact, everybody that we talk to says the same thing in church world. All churches are trying to wrestle through, what do we do here? And so the way the elders look at shepherding this church is that if they see an elephant in the room, then they wanna talk about the elephant in the room. And if something's on fire, by God's grace, the elders wanna run into that fire. And so that's why we're in this series and finishing it up today. And you know, when, the, when, they, when this decision was made, I remember thinking to myself, oh yeah, man, biblical conflict resolution. I'm gonna go do some work and I'm gonna study the text and we're gonna discover some very exotic truths that, that I'm gonna be able to preach and I'm gonna show folks and, and their minds are gonna get blown as I explain to them these fascinating, wonderful truths that we discover. Funny thing is, the Lord decided he wanted to bring me face to face with all this conflict that I'm not dealing with biblically. And whereas I was thinking, oh, I hope this really helps the congregation, truth is, it might be that the Lord decided for us to walk through this sermon series and the elders suggested it just, just so that I would be more biblical in my conflict. And what, what I've revealed is while there may be some gaps for you in conflict, there's so many gaps in me and me in conflict. And whereas I was thinking there'd be all these exotic and profound truths on this side of the sermon series as we land the plane today, what I'm realizing is there are some profound truths, but they're not really that exotic. 
In fact, I, I would guess that I could have probably sat down with a couple of you and just said, hey, can you give me the best you know biblical advice for conflict resolution? You probably would have come up with these principles. They're not all that exotic at all. And, and it's led me to the place where, at least for me, the issue wasn't a lack of information or a lack of motivation or even a lack of clarification. The question was a lack of application. That was the issue. And I wonder if for you today, if your issue when it comes to conflict resolution is not you lack the information, the motivation, the clarification. I wonder if for you, if it'd be like me, you have an issue with application. The question is, will you resolve conflict your way or Jesus' way? Well, as we finish the Conflict Resolution Sermon Series, my prayer is that as the Spirit has landed the plane for me in how I need to deal with my conflicts, that the Spirit would do the same for you because you gotta know, conflict is normal. If you're here and you happen to be in a job where you work with other people or you're in a family or you're married or you have siblings, you gotta know, man, conflict is a normal part of life. And if you were here just thinking, I was hoping to skate through life without any conflict, man, good luck. I've, I've never known anybody to be able to do that. Conflict is normal. And I, and I think you'd benefit from knowing, not only is it normal, conflict is not inherently wrong. Like you're sitting there going, man, I have this conflict with this person. That doesn't mean inherently you're sinful, even though I grant it might feel very uncomfortable. Or if you're in here and you're just like, pastor, you don't understand. I really, really hate conflict. Like, I, have, I just hate having to have hard conversations with anybody. Can I just tell you, I've never in my whole pastorate talked to somebody who said, I love conflict and I want more of it. Oh, I like it when they really hurt my feelings, something fierce, so I can sit down and talk to them about all these really hard things. Like, nobody likes that. Or at least, if you do, you need to go talk to pay a lot of money and get somebody to work with your issues, because that's unusual to love. Conflict. None of us likes conflict, but if you're in the middle of conflict with, with your spouse or with your family or with neighbors or with your friends or, or your job or whatever it is, what, what you got to know is that, that it's, if you're thinking to yourself, no, I just avoid conflict, man. I just avoid conflict. You, you got to know that's not biblical. And if you decide there's conflict in my family, so I got to bounce out of my family. And there's conflict at work, so I got to change jobs. Or there's conflict with my spouse, so I got to bounce out on that. Or there's conflict... There's conflict in my church, so I'm going to leave my church. You should know you're going to be like a pinball the rest of your life. You're never going to find a good home because conflict's just part of life. And we got to figure out how we're going to handle conflict. And so that's why, as we've walked through this, I have found it so helpful to know that if you're going to address conflict biblically, you got to start with the hard attitude of humility. That's the beginning of Matthew 18, 1 to 9. you got to have a heart of humility. You want to walk into conflict without humility? Man, good luck. You're just going to pour gas on a raging fire, and it's not going to go very well. We start with humility. The next, verses 10 to 14, you have to have responsibility for one another. We want to take responsibility for those that we call brothers and sisters in Christ, those that identify as members of the same church. And then if conflict's happening, you got to have that hard conversation. It's called confrontation. That was Matthew 18, 15 to 20. And it leaves us today with the response. This is how Jesus ends his little sermonette, is with the response that Christians are to offer one another. And that response is forgiveness. Would you say forgiveness on the count of three? One, two, three. Forgiveness. This is the crucial response for Christians in conflict. Because forgiven people forgive. And that's what Jesus is going to teach. And we're going to walk through this text answering three questions for the sermon. First, why is it so hard to forgive? Second, what does a lack of forgiveness reveal? Finally, where is the power to forgive? So, why, what, where? That's going to be the three questions in the sermon. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Matthew 18, 21 so I can show you how Jesus is teaching this section. My heart is just to take Jesus' teaching and explain it to us. Question number one that we see in our text answered is, why is it so hard to forgive 
Verse 21, Peter came up to Jesus, said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? All right, if you're new to Mill Creek, you haven't, maybe you're not new to Mill Creek, you just haven't been here for this sermon series, you'd be, it'd benefit you to know Jesus is preaching to his people in this chapter. Chapter 18 is aimed at Jesus' community his followers, his disciples. And that's why we take the principles of Matthew 18 and we plug them directly into the church today because we identify with Jesus's people. Well, why don't you do that with other sermonettes where Jesus is preaching like that? The answer is because he's not always preaching to his people, but Matthew 18, he is. He is explaining this. These are the rules for biblical conflict resolution. This is how my people are to resolve conflict. And so what happens is, having explained these principles that we talked through, you got to be humble, you take responsibility, you have to have that hard conversation, confrontation. Peter then says, look, Jesus, but, but here's the deal. What if Johnny keeps sinning against me, man? Like, at what point can I just write Johnny off and say, forget you, bro? Now, what's kind of weird about this question is that there's the number seven. Like, where does he even come up with that number? Why does he say seven times? Well, get this, rabbis taught that you should forgive somebody in your community. Can you guess how many times? I know that's what I thought too. I thought it was seven, but it's not, it's three. It's three. And here's what Peter's doing then. What Peter's doing? <coughs> Jesus, can I bother you for a second? How many times should I, should I even forgive them up to seven? Oh, Peter, you're so cool, man. Not three, not even four. Jesus, I thought, I thought I'd maybe even do up to seven. So what, what he's done is he smuggled this smug, self-righteous attitude baked into his question. Jesus, look how awesome I am. I was thinking maybe even seven. Not great, Jesus? Am I not doing a great job? Jesus' answer, 22. Peter, I don't say to you seven times, but... 77 times, which I suppose Peter's like, 77, that's a lot. I'm going to have to get a book and write these things down and review them. And what if I miscount? And, and of course, Jesus's heart isn't that you then count to 77. And then on number 78, you kick somebody to the curb. Of course, that's not Jesus's heart. Or now some of yours, it, it reads just like mine does. Others Bibles in here might read, I don't say forgive sevenfold, but 77-fold, which nerd out with me for a little bit. That, those words, not sevenfold, but 77-fold, those come from an Old Testament quote. We actually preached through it. It's in Genesis chapter 4. Do you remember who might have said this? Not sevenfold, but 77-fold? Anybody, anybody? First hour got it. I'm kidding. I, I didn't get it. I had to look it up. It's Lamech in Genesis 4, who is this like arch enemy of God. He's one of like Cain's grandsons. And, and somebody comes up and punches Lamech. And Lamech goes, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, my revenge is 77fold. You think Cain's awesome? Wait till you see how awesome I am. And what Jesus is doing, virtually all the commentators connected it is, Jesus is using that same language that Lamech used because he wants his community to know this. We are not limited in the forgiveness we offer. We offer extravagant forgiveness. That's how Christians are to respond. We do not give revenge. We don't offer finite forgiveness. We are to be extravagant in our Forgiveness. And then that brings us then to the answer to the first question. Why is it so hard to forgive? And the answer is because in our hearts, we're just like Lamech. Somebody hurts us. Oh, you did a little something to me? Wait till you, I'm going to blow you up. Oh, you want to you wanna punch me? I'm going to curb stomp you. Or maybe we're a little bit more sophisticated. We're not going to go full out Lamech on them. We'll, we'll go rabbi on them. I'll give you three passes, but then I'll give you the business. Or maybe we're real pious and we go, Peter, we go, fine, I'll give you seven passes. 
But this is why it's so hard to forgive because in our heart of hearts, we want revenge. And wherever you put the number, first offense, fourth offense, eighth offense, or whether you're counting to 77 times and then on the 78th time you're gonna do the revenge, all of us want in our heart of hearts, revenge. You hurt me, mama hurt you back. That's why it's so hard to forgive. We want to think of ourselves as followers of Christ, but also be able to have revenge. It's like we want to have our cake and eat it too. I'm going to pretend like I'm really forgiving, but then I want to feel justified when I have a non-Christ-like attitude. And what Jesus is confronting in Peter and what he's confronting in us is his people are to offer extravagant forgiveness. Here's a question for application number one. Are you extravagant in your forgiveness? Are you extravagant in your forgiveness? Willing to give up? Hurting another person the way they hurt you. I love that definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of those words we use all the time. We may mean exactly the same thing. We may not. Here's the definition I heard in a recent podcast from the Gospel Coalition. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you the way you hurt me. I'm going to give up the right to hurt you the way you hurt me. Now, now sidebar real quick. I, I heard this delineation. It, it may not be perfectly accurate, but I found it very helpful to think about forgiveness and then reconciliation and then restoration as, as three steps towards full healing. And the way that I heard it explained is forgiveness is vertical. It's between God and you. And then this step of reconciliation where there's apologies made and you're trying to get back on the same page, that's horizontal. That's between you and the person. But to get to full restoration, where there's all the trust back in, where you're able to give one another the benefit of the doubt, where you're able to, to love and be vulnerable, that final step that takes, that takes all this hard work, and it too is horizontal. So, so forgiveness is vertical, and then the last two steps are horizontal. And, and what the idea was is, while you need to forgive between you and God, you're going to have to forgive this person. Reconciliation and restoration is only possible if the other person's going to be part of that process. I found that sequence helpful to try to think through what does forgiveness really look like? Because if somebody's really hurt you, but they've never owned that, well, you're going to not be able to get to this reconciliation or restoration step. But based on this definition, I do think you're commanded to forgive them no matter whether they ever own that sin against you or not. Because forgiveness is between you and God. So I think Jesus' command here to forgive is binding on anyone who identifies as a Christian. Anybody who says they're a Christian, regardless of whether the other person ever owns it, we're to forgive. Jesus calling us to forgive others, to, to not hurt them the way they hurt us. And can we be honest? That's hard. And that's so hard. Extravagant forgiveness, in fact, I'd say, in and of ourselves, I think it's impossible. And what Jesus is teaching is forgiven people forgive. Now, maybe you're sitting there going, man, Jeremy, man, I just don't know if I can forgive. What well, brings us to question two, what does a lack of forgiveness reveal? Having dropped this truth bomb, Jesus follows it up with a parable, which a parable, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, that's a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And when Jesus teaches from parables, sometimes they can be very confusing, and this one isn't. It's real easy. We all gonna get it. Look at the text. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven, Jesus teaches, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since the guy couldn't pay the 10,000 talents, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. All right, maybe you can already run the numbers in your head. You understand what the math is for us, rest of us mere mortals. A talent, based on the footnote, is how much money you have if you work for 20 years and you don't spend any money. You save it all, you have one talent, all right? So you're a school teacher, you go to work, I don't know how you eat, I don't know where you're getting, I guess you're eating grass on the way to school. And then and, and when you get all done after 20 years, you have one. <laughs> okay, and this cat owed him 10,000 of those. He's gonna need to work for 200,000 years eating just grass on the way to school and he'll have enough money to pay him back. Okay, if, if we did the math on a school teacher today, we're talking like $10 billion, that's his debt. Perhaps you've been in debt before, and it's like, oh, man, that debt's really uncomfortable. I'm guessing there's a little pressure if you're into the king for $10 billion, and he's going to throw you, your wife, your kids into the penalty box forever until you pay that back. I'm guessing there's a little pressure. All right, so the point is, there's nothing this guy's going to be able to do. If you're a school teacher and you owe $10 billion and you're saving all your money, you will never have enough money to pay back who you owe. That's the point. 26, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, then I'll pay you everything. Give me a break. No, you won't. There ain't no Powerball back then. That'd be his only hope. Maybe I can hit the lottery or something. But he's, he's writing checks he can't cash. He's just, he'll say whatever he can to keep himself out of debtor's prison. That's what he's doing. This guy's desperate. And you would be too. Because once they throw you in jail, you're done for. Look what the king does. 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. What a beautiful picture. Now, of course, the guy had offered, I'll work for you and I'll still keep paying you back. Not only does the king say, you know what, never mind. I'm going to not only let you out for free, you don't even have to keep working and pay interest payments. I'm just going to forgive it. The king was allowing the pain and hurt this man had caused him by spending all his money, wasting his money, he was releasing him and not going to hurt him the way the servant had hurt the king. Man, beautiful story, right? Well, look what Jesus does in 28. But when that same servant, just been forgiven $10 billion, found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Now here's the mastery of Jesus in this story is the very one who's been forgiven is now on the other side and he's collecting his debts. 100 denarii is about school teacher wages. We're talking 20 grand, okay? $20,000. Now, can we all agree $20,000 is a thing? Like if you... If you loaned me 20 grand and I didn't pay you back, my guess is you'd go, what's up with that? <laughs> well, maybe you're loaded. Let's flip it. If, if you borrow 20 grand from me and, I, and you're not going to pay that back, that hurts. Okay? I'm, I'm not happy about that. That's painful to me. So 20 grand is, well, it's not nothing, but it's not $10 billion either. Okay, do you see? If you're a school teacher and you owe $20,000, it is reasonable that you can pay that back. Maybe not in just one year, but you're going to be able to pay that back. Some of you are like, yeah, I took 20 grand out of school debt and I'm still paying that back. I know, but it is possible, right? So this, the situation is flipped and there seems to be a realistic possibility that the $20,000 debt can be repaid. Look what happened, 30. The man who's been forgiven 10 billion, he refused and went and put the guy who owed him 20 grand in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned the one who had owed him 10 billion and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all that debt. A servant who had been forgiven much would not extend the same forgiveness. 
And as consequence of the king's anger, he is put in jail, which we understand is a life sentence. He's done. There is no way you're earning $10 billion in prison making license plates or whatever they did back then. His, his family is not going to be able to go out and fundraise. Go fund me. I need $10 billion to get my, my, my dad out of jail. It ain't happening. Jesus drives the parable home in verse 35. Here's his point. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you don't forget your, forgive your brother from your heart. Here's the principle for us now. If in view of the $10 billion debt that God the Father has forgiven you, for your sin against him, if in view of that, you are not willing to forgive your brother or sister in Christ, you are disobedient to Jesus' teaching. Or let me say it negatively to answer the question of point two. If you don't forgive those who sin against you, then your hard-heartedness reveals you don't get the gospel debt the Father's forgiven you of. Do you get the gospel debt that the Father forgave you of? If you do, you'll forgive others. But if you can't forgive others, it reveals you don't get it. Forgiven people forgive. Here's the question for application. What does your forgiveness or lack of forgiveness reveal? For those in here who are going... And it's hard, but I'm forgiving. Well, that reveals something about your heart. But, but if you're in here and you're thinking, yeah, I'm not going to forgive, oh, that reveals something about your heart too. And I think it's here then that we really do get to the heart of the issue. Because you might be here and I'm, I'm, I'm supposing that there are issues that have happened in your life, conflicts that have happened in your life, pain that others have caused you in your life that you need to extend forgiveness for, and maybe some you have, and then others, maybe you're still holding on to them, and you might be thinking, but I don't know how to do that. Like, if forgiven people forgive, I don't know how to do business with that thing. Where do I find the power? I mean, maybe you're like, I don't even want to forgive them. Or maybe you're like, I do want to forgive, but I just can't. Pastor, where do we get the power in either situation? That brings us to point number three. Here's the question we've got to answer. Where do we find the power to forgive? It's not inside any of us mere mortals. In fact, I think it's impossible for any of us by ourselves in and of our own power to be able to say, I truly and fully forgive you. I just don't think that's possible. The reason it's hard for us to forgive and what our lack of forgiveness reveals is how painful other people's sin against us really is. And I think that gets really to the heart of the matter. The reason that we're having such a hard time forgiving others is because it hurts so bad. And that brings us back to this parable. What do we do if that $20,000 debt that was incurred against us actually feels like 10 billion? What do we do then? I mean, are we really ready to grant church that that the pain of an abusive dad's only $20,000? Are we really ready to grant that no affection from a caregiver is only $20,000? Is the loss of innocence or being taken advantage of, being betrayed by somebody we love, is that only $20,000? But, but lean in here because here's what's so crucial. Jesus is not trying to minimize your pain. And he's not saying it's only $20,000. The point of this parable is not to put a number on your pain. The point is to show you that despite however much pain you feel, it's nothing compared to the debt that you've racked up against God. what Jesus is trying to show us. 
And, and while the pain you are experiencing may be profound and the worst pain you've ever thought imaginable, and while you may say, man, I wouldn't wish this pain I feel on my worst enemy, that all may be true. Jesus isn't trying to say, hey, we were gonna cap that out at $20,000. What Jesus is saying is that profound pain you're experiencing, it is nothing compared to the pain that you've accrued before God the Father for rejecting him and living your own way. Whatever debt you are owed from a brother or sister in Christ is nothing compared to the debt that the Father has forgiven you of in Jesus. And so, if we're going to powerfully forgive others, this is where we have to start, by recognizing our great sin before God. Friend, whether you're a kid, whether you're a young adult, newly married, been married forever, senior citizen, anybody, between three and 103, do you realize that the Bible teaches, despite whatever profound pain you've experienced, you have sinned against God and ruptured this perfect relationship that God created for you to have with him. And by the way, God hasn't just forgiven you a few bucks. And it's not just 20 grand. In fact, 10 billion is just a drop in the ocean of what you've really sinned against God. Meaning what... What our tendency is to do is we think about our debt against God and we think, yeah, on a teacher's salary, I could pay you back between one and two years, God. I mean, I know I did some stuff, but it's really not that bad. I think that's how we actually deal with our own sin. We love to take everybody else's sin and we put it on the microscope and we go into a hundred X. We blow their sin way up and oh yeah, how could they, how could they ever do that to me? And we love making big of everybody else's sin, but then we take our sin and we put it on a telescope and we zoom it way out and we go, I can barely see what I did. And then somebody sins against you and you're like, microscope time, baby, bring it out. Here we go. Let's, let's, let's get into this. And then ours were like, man, I mean, I'm sure I sort of, I probably disappointed God one time when I was a kid, but it's really not that big. And I'll pay him back. I'll go to church for a while. It'll be fine. My senses, that's what the Spirit's convicted me of. And I'll put everybody else's stuff on a microscope. Mine goes on the telescope. That's why I don't think our problem's lack of information or motivation or clarification. I think the question's one of application. Are we going to forgive the way Jesus forgives? And are we gonna see sin the way God sees sin? And when somebody does sin against us, which does happen all the time, are we gonna just throw it on the microscope and feel justified in how we're doing, or will we view it against the backdrop of God's forgiveness of us? This is where the power's going to come from. When we realize, look at how much forgiveness the Father has granted me. 10 billion is a drop in the ocean of what he's forgiven me. So when this person who owes me 20 grand gets contrasted, man, I can forgive you because look what the Father has forgiven me. The power to offer forgiveness comes when we rightly appreciate our great sin and we understand the great debt God has mercifully paid. Then we can forgive. As painful as that sin against us may be, we can forgive because God had pity on us and God forgave us when we sinned against him. And how did that happen? Well, God didn't just push delete on your sin against him. How did God forgive you your sin? Remember the gospel here? God, he didn't just ignore it, sweep it under the rug. God sent Jesus Christ, the God-man, to live. And he was tortured ultimately on the cross and he took all our sin on himself. This is where justice and mercy met at the cross where Jesus paid the debt for your sin before God. The, the beautiful truth of the gospel, Christ died for our sin. The gospel in five simple words. Christ died for our sins. Would you say that with me? One, two, three. Christ died for our sins. That's where our debt against God is paid for. And in view of the cross and what Jesus has sacrificed for us, 
it empowers us to forgive those who've hurt us. In view of the cross, then, we can say, even in the face of abuse, since, since God the Father forgave me of my abuse against him by putting Jesus on the cross, I can forgive those who abused me because of the cross. And I'm going to give up my right to hurt them the way they hurt me because of Jesus. Or in the face of betrayal, you can say, because the Father forgave me for all the ways that I betrayed him, I'm going to give up my right to hurt others the way they hurt me. And I'm going to find power to forgive the one who betrayed me. or in the face of any sin, like whatever sin that you're struggling with that you have against somebody else, you can fill in the blank. Since the Father forgave me of that sin, by Jesus' death on the cross, I'm empowered to forgive the one who sinned against me, and I'm gonna give up the right to hurt them the way they hurt me. Don't hear me say this is easy. God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. So his forgiveness of us is costly. Our forgiveness will be costly as well, but we do have the power. The power to forgive comes from the gospel. Two questions for application. First, is someone else's offense more powerful than the forgiveness Christ has offered you? Is someone else's offense more powerful than the forgiveness Christ has offered you? Here's a litmus test. If in your heart of hearts, you are so focused on the ways that you've been sinned against that you lose sight of what God has done for you in Jesus, it might reveal some bitterness and unforgiveness. And if that's you, and you keep putting somebody else's sin on the microscope, repent. Repent. God, I'm sorry, help me see my sin the way you see my sin. Question two, is there anyone you're not forgiving that the Spirit wants you to forgive? So as the Spirit has been working in my heart through this sermon series, this is, when I came to this question myself, this is literally what I did. I just closed my eyes and I said, Holy Spirit, is there anybody in my world that I am holding a grudge against that I need to forgive? And if you pray that prayer and nobody comes to mind, amen. Amen. But if you pray that prayer, and you realize there's somebody or some things that you need to forgive, well then, obey right away. That's what Christians do. Us Christians, we're not sinless. We're not perfect. We just seek to obey because forgiven people forgive. So take the next step. Maybe you need to walk out of here and tell your spouse, Honey, it's Frank again. I need to go do business with Frank. And I hope your spouse says, please do business with Frank. Or maybe you just need to call Frank. And you just need to say whatever it is you need to say. Whatever the next step is so you can forgive, do that. Sermon in a sentence, forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. And that brings us then to the end of this sermon. No, no exotic truth, huh? Just a belief that just a belief that God's word does God's work and God's people. And as we've ended all the other sermons, this one, I want to do the same by having an interview and trying to show you, like, real practically how this gets plugged in to our lives. And so I've asked uh, somebody really special to me. It's my, uh, it's my brother, who's also a, a member of Mill Creek, to come up here. We want to talk to you for a second about how forgiveness 
what it looks like in our lives. Mill Creek, would you give a special warm welcome to Josh Krause. Josh, uh, thanks for joining me up here. Um, we've had, uh, I'm 41, you're 38, so we've had a number of years to get to practice some conflict together. Uh, any conflict as a kid that when we think about uh, needing to forgive or stuff that happened when we were uh, still at home that jumps in your brain? Um, I know that it may sound like 41 and 38 is really old. They still had video games when we were kids. <laughs> Um, in fact, TVs. not even a, just the Nintendo, like the Nintendo 64. It so, was legit. Do you remember what your favorite game was when you were like a senior in high school? John Madden Football. I love that game. I played it a lot. Uh, rare fact, Madden 64 was one of the first that you could actually save what your record was. I like to spend a lot of time with my brother. Uh, there's another one of us too. There's one that's older and they're heroes kind of to me. Uh, so in 97, I was, uh, I was like a five foot seven uh, freshman, Jeremy was a full-grown senior in high school, same size he is now, right? So uh, we spent a lot of time together playing Madden. Do you happen to remember what your record was? I remember I didn't lose very much. Uh, 97 and zero, <gasps> next to his That's name. Next to my name was zero and 97. Uh, do you remember what happened when I beat you? <sighs> Foggy. <laughs> Real foggy, man. Let me see if this jogs your memory Jog a little bit. Uh, about three seconds left. Uh, the power switch before the save. Oh, now, now that you mention it. Yep, I turned off the game because I didn't want to blemish on the record. So I didn't really much care for that move. Um, yeah, what's, I mean, 97 and 1. That's nothing to be proud of. 1 and 97 isn't that great either. But there was what happened next was at the time I was wearing glasses, uh, Jer in uh, only the older brother way just kind of said, oh, it's not that big of a deal and kind of hit me in my face, bent my glasses, smudged my smudge my glasses. Uh, what that did was that ignited about a, a, a 45 second fuse. I didn't know it, that it was about 45 seconds at the time, but uh, I went into the restroom at uh, our parents' home and I went to you know clean my glasses and then all of a sudden that fuse went off and there was about seven sticks of dynamite internally and ears started, smoke started coming out of my ears. And uh, in about the next four seconds, do you remember what happened next? Yeah, I remember you came charging out the, the bathroom like a bull. Yeah, so three steps, dove, broke mom's lazy boy, uh, broke mom's Martin classical guitar. It was Josh, Ma. It was Josh. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was, a fun, that was a fun conflict that we had to figure out how to, how to deal with. Yes, I, now that you remind me, I do remember this conflict. <laughs> yes, okay. That's good. Unfortunately, I have other memories that sort of resemble this one in the way I responded to you. But growing up then in our childhood, were there any of these issues that really settled in for you that you struggled to forgive? Or looking back, it was like, man, I really had some bitterness there I had to deal with. Um, well, it, it, to put things in context properly, we, we grew up in a pretty leave it to beaver type family. Uh, not a lot of super deep trauma. Uh, once again, a video game was the source of one of the major things that we talk about now 25 years later. But in between services, in fact, one of the pastors, David and I, we had a conversation. Um, I do have some additional things to talk through. Oh, man, I asked you to be up here. Was I, what should I have expected? I just wrote a couple things yeah, you down. Did. Oh my word, I'll uh, no. be here all day. Okay. Uh, no, really, just outside of uh, wanting to spend time with my brother, uh, you, you forced me to play Bloody Knuckles when I was like seven. Oh, um, I was good at that too. I don't know how to play Bloody Knuckles still to this day, but yeah. apparently uh, we did. But no, there really wasn't mm. much. Uh, wasn't much from my perspective that I was like, gosh, this was this is a, a source of bitterness in my life. Nothing, nothing much there. What about what about in reverse? Yeah. So when I really started walking with Jesus in college, um, the Spirit started to convict me of ways that I just sinned against Him in a number of ways. But one of the things that was really difficult in early year seminary, started doing work with family of origin, which I tell folks all the time, if you've never done business with family of origin, um, you need to, because it so profoundly impacts you. Uh, there's really wonderful ways that our family raised us, and then some really difficult ways that you have to process through. And as I was walking through some of those ways, I was convicted of how I treated you, um, because as the youngest, I would get picked on sometimes being in the middle, um, but then I could just the, the, the poo could just flow downhill. And I found myself going, um, in hindsight, really having a, like this attitude of, 
I'm gonna beat you, and then if you actually beat me, I'm gonna make it so nobody can remember that. And then when you like go, wait, that's not fair, I'm gonna lick my hand and smudge your glasses and show you that I'm, 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 I'm bigger and stronger than you. And, and I didn't just apologize because you grew up to be bigger than me. I, I actually just felt the spirit con- convicting me. I need to do business with that. And I, um, embarrassed isn't the right word, but regret. I really regret the way I treated you as a kid and wanted to be a better big brother, especially the way you treated me. And so I was grateful for a time right after college when we sat down. I think you were still in college. I just graduated, been married just a little bit. And I, uh, do you remember sitting in the car and I was just like, man, I did this to you. And, and one time he was the lead in the play, uh, Fiddler on the Roof, and I sat on the front row and I tried to make him laugh the whole show. I tried to make him laugh the whole show thinking, wouldn't that be funny if instead of like honoring him and all the hard work, I'd get him to giggle and, and, and break character? He never did. Uh, but it's like those sort of stunts are just like, what is wrong with me? I, I felt really bad about that. And so I apologize to you in that moment. That was, that was very healing for me to be able to share that. What was that like for you? Weird. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm in college, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and you're looking at me and having similar emotions to what you are now. And it's like, I'm in college, this is weird. Uh, Jeremy's going through something. Uh, The other part was, is he was recently married. So like, ooh, thanks Brooke, cool, looking out for me. Um, Telling Jeremy he's gotta go face Frank, by the way, Frank's Jeremy's code word when he says in the message, I gotta go do business with Frank. I'm Frank, hi, (laughs) pleasure to meet you all. Um, No, it was just, it was was one of those things, oh, okay, Jared's going through some things. once again, it wasn't, it wasn't much on my end. I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember feeling forgiveness there. And um, in our relationship then, what's been so uh, powerful to me and what I would wish for anybody who's got a sibling or a family member or anybody you love that you're struggling to have forgiveness with is I've, I've appreciated how quick Josh has been to forgive me even when I look through it. I was really... I was awful to him at times. I've been grateful for his forgiveness. And even over Labor Day, um, we got to be together for a few days, and there was a little bit of a a conflict we had that we got up on Monday morning, and uh, you didn't know about it. In fact, I think the reason for the conflict was I was being too sensitive. Um, Newsflash, that's like always the problem. I'm too sensitive. But in that moment, (laughs) I heard that amen. (laughs) In that that moment, um, it was really early, and uh, we were just on a first cup of coffee and we were able to like go through a lap of reconciliation and get back to forgiveness in like less than 10 minutes from, from humble attitude, some responsibility, uh, confrontation and forgiveness. And I just, uh, just two weeks ago that happened. What, what do you attribute that to? Why do you think it was so easy to, to move so quickly through that cycle and be like, Hey, we're okay again. Uh, yeah, so the, the reconciliation is where the fun's at. Nobody enjoys forgiving or having to tell somebody that they've hurt your feelings or they've done something wrong. And so I, I want to just fast forward to that part where it's where we can get back to, you know, not having any of the conflict. But um, th- there's a couple things, and they're buzzwords, right? But like uh, assuming positive intent. So um, even though Jeremy is tearful and saying that he treated me poorly, like I trust him. And I know he's looking out for my best interests. And so if in some way, without me even knowing, I stepped on his feelings and he's, he's got the guts to tell me that up front, then, whoa, let's, let's, let's pause everything. Okay, what did I say? Okay, oh, that's not what I meant. Crap. Sorry. Uh, this, is what I, this is the language I intended to use. This was the intent of what's going on. So giving Jer the benefit of the doubt um, and not being defensive, uh, because being defensive just delays the end product of the reconciliation, right? Like, um, so, so, and then simply recognizing that I'm at fault. Um, and, and then at a really high level, it, it doesn't really come much between us, but in my own personal life, it's like, there, as, as Jeremy talked about, there isn't anything that anybody's done to me that is, is bigger than dying on the cross so that, that Jesus did. And so I, I can pretty much bridge the gap between there with almost anybody because it's, it's nowhere near as bad as, as what I've been forgiven of. But um, th- there is one other piece, though, in the middle of that, and I can't claim any credit. Um, in fact, uh, Aaron and I have had this conversation multiple times. I have a little daughter. Uh, she's in third grade. And um, as some parents are, and I think if you were here five or six weeks ago, you heard Jeremy talk to his daughter, Clara. Sometimes the Kraus men, we yell. It's like our spiritual gift. Our spiritual gift is of, of yelling. We're really good at it. And uh, in the middle of 
some frustration with my eight-year-old, she looked at me and she said, I don't listen to you when you yell. Now, I need you to know that that wasn't in a calm moment. Like, it wasn't in a, in a normal moment. It was, the, it was the reaction I had internally was like the same if you stub your toe or you hit your nail with a hammer. Um, uh, right? Not only the embarrassment, but like, now I have to do business with this right now in front of you. And um, in the middle of that, something that I want to continuously claim for, from now until forever is when I screw up, I want to own it right away. Because when you own it right away, then once again, you can get to the reconciliation and nobody, I'm, I'm going to assume for all of us, we don't like being wrong and we don't like having sin present. Let's just deal with it and cut it out and move on. And so in the middle of our conversation, gosh, it was at like 510 yeah. on Monday morning. Yeah. Um, uh, in the middle of that early morning conversation, it was very quick to get through because it was, oh man, I did screw up, Jer. I said the wrong words. This is what I intended. Let me rephrase it this way. And does that, does that make sense? And we unrealistically or unknowingly we were competing as siblings do to who could forgive faster and we didn't know it right like we didn't know it i i realized i stepped on his feelings but in the middle of that he was going to try to apologize for being too sensitive um and and so in that once again we were able to just cut through it's an event like that that causes my folks who are 71 and 75 to look at their friends and say, well, they haven't talked to their siblings in 12 years, right? It's an event like that that goes undressed, unaddressed that, that, that turns into us not having relationship. And that's not anywhere close to worth it yeah. um, at the end yeah. of it. So. Well, I've, I appreciated your humility in that moment, your willingness to come up here and, and share. And I guess my, what I hope is practical for all of you is if both folks can if you can sit down with somebody and there's really good humility, then the path to reconciliation feels so much quicker. And, and if you can give the benefit of the doubt, some of these things can be resolved really uh, powerfully. Um, if you're here and for whatever extenuating circumstances, that's just not the case for you, or um, you just want some help in being able to do that, um, boy, we'd love to be able to help you because forgiveness is worth it and reconciliation is worth it. And, and having a clear conscience between people and being able to forgive one another is really worth it. And it's the way the church, it's the way Jesus wants his church to live. And so, Josh, I'm grateful for your willingness to come up here and be vulnerable about you and Ellery and... Um, Church, I'm glad that you'd be willing to sit with us through this conflict resolution sermon series. And um, as we shut this down, I'd love if you would pray with me, please. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have died on the cross for us and you have offered reconciliation. And thanks that that cross would give Josh and I a chance to forgive one another. Lord, I pray for anybody who's in outstanding conflict that you would give Holy Spirit, you do a powerful miracle and you would grant a heart of forgiveness because of what you've done for us. Lord, these truths may be easy to say, boy, they're hard to apply. So for all the ways that we fall short, convict us. For all the ways that we fall short, thank you for Jesus who's forgiven us. Thank you, Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.